I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, September 6th, the first day of school for most of Ontario, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Well, Jay, you must be happy about schools getting back in. So that's, I guess, one good thing. But the other fact of the day that I wanted to flag, and we talked about this last week, the Lord of the Rings, they launched their new show, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. And it was tuned in by 25 million people, which made it the biggest debut in streaming history, or at least that streaming platform's history. So Jay, have you watched yet? No, I'm too busy trying to get through episode two of Stranger Things without running out of the room out of fright. It might be the scariest, creepiest thing I've ever watched, but I have not watched Lord of the Rings, this one, or any of them, really? Do you? No, I haven't watched any. Like, well, I've watched the movies when I was younger, but the movies were way too long. I don't have a four-hour attention span, so it was really tough to get through. I, I at least want to give it a shot because they spent so much money on it. I feel like the least I can do is give it a give it one watch, try out the first episode. I, I don't like fantasy generally, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give it a shot for sure. I also read a funny piece about how this was Jeff Bezos' fantasy as a child to like do these movies and put them on his own platform. So interesting stuff there. Brett, aside from that, what do we have for Peak Pals today to start off this new school year? Well, but Jay, on that point, there's a fun fact. It, it literally was a Jeff Bezos pet project. He saw the success of Game of Thrones on HBO and he wanted that for Amazon Prime. And so he was really behind a lot of this. We've got a great bunch of stories for you today, Peak Pals. For our first story, G7 nations have agreed to impose a cap on the price of Russian oil. For our second story, Starbucks has a new CEO. And for our last story, the Chinese manufacturing hub of Chengdu is in lockdown. For our first story, G7 nations have agreed to impose a cap on the price of Russian oil imports despite Russian threats to cut off cold turkey any country that tries to mess with its energy business. Okay, Brett, how will this impact the war in Ukraine? So the G7 announced its intention to institute a price cap back in June as a means to cut Russia's oil profits, hurt its war efforts, and lower global energy prices. Now they are making good on that plan with a formal agreement. The projected start date for the price cap is now December 5th the same day that the EU will begin its partial ban on Russia oil imports. Now, to enforce the cap, London-based ship insurers, which cover about 95% of the world's oil tankers, would not be permitted to insure any vessels carrying oil sold above the cap price. Now, here's why it matters. Despite the coordinated efforts of Western nations, Russia has still been raking in money to fuel the war machine thanks to its energy exports. A global ceiling on the price of Russian oil could put a stop to this. And so you might be wondering what's next. Well, the G7 said that the price cap will be set at, what the price that the price cap will be set at is still TBD, but would be determined by a range of technical inputs and consultations with other countries who might want to join in. Officials are still crossing their fingers that China and India in particular might want to get in on the price fixing action, as the plan will be significantly less effective if Russia can still sell at full price to those two important markets. But analysts have pointed out that there are ways that Russia could get around the cap by using tankers insured by non-Western brokers to sell oil to non-G7 buyers. Russia has also said it won't sell oil to any country that observes the price cap anyway. Whether or not it can make good on this threat will likely depend on how many countries agree to join. And we could kind of have seen this coming because of the ongoing maintenance of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. But Vladimir Putin has officially said that Russia will not ship gas to Europe until Western sanctions on Russia are lifted, which is ratcheting up Russia's economic war. For our second story, the pumpkin spice latte isn't the only hot arrival at Starbucks this fall. The company is bringing in a new CEO to oversee grand ambitions to modernize its espresso slinging business. So, Jay, who is the new CEO and what can we expect from them? 
Yeah, what's more important, a new CEO or a pumpkin spice latte? Either way, Laxman Narasimhan, who is a former PepsiCo exec, will take over for the three-time CEO Howard Schultz in April after spending a few months with the company to learn about its reinvention plans. The new CEO is interesting, but it really doesn't impact my daily life. The pumpkin spice latte, on the other hand, that makes a real difference. The leadership change comes at a time of transition for Starbucks. Its sales have rebounded since a pandemic drop-off, but net income fell 21% year-over-year last quarter as the company faced some pretty serious challenges. Like exploding production costs, increased turnover rates, difficulties expanding in new markets like the UK, and lockdowns in China, its second largest market. They all cut into profits. Now, another major issue is outdated spaces and equipment that make it tough to meet growing consumer demand for complicated and cold drinks. It's not easy to whip up those quad venti mocha frappuccinos in a tight space. How did you know my order, Brett? Jeez. Anyway, Starbucks offers 170,000 different drink variations. And while workers are expected to make them in less than 50 seconds, many of them can take up to three minutes or more to put together this according to the Wall Street Journal. The world would be a better place, Jay, if we just banned those orders. That's creating frustrating wait times for customers and less than ideal work conditions for employees and tailwinds for the rapidly expanding Starbucks unionization movement. But fixing those issues won't come cheap. Starbucks will likely have to redesign its many, many stores and invest in expensive new equipment. Which brings us to the bottom line. So Starbucks, they've made a name for themselves as an innovator in North American coffee business, and they'll now have to do it all over again and reinvent itself to continue to own the space. And for our last story, if you're planning to buy an iPad anytime soon, you might want to get on that ASAP. The Chinese manufacturing hub of Chengdu, where most of Apple's tablets are made, is locking down to contain a COVID outbreak, threatening to disrupt supply chains around the world. Brett, this is a very big deal. Besides the lockdown of over 60 million people in China, why is this such a big deal for all of us? Well, it's going to be a tough mid-autumn festival in China, Jay. Global companies like Apple, VW, Toyota, and Bosch depend heavily on factories in Chengdu to manufacture their products and will now have to contend with strict public health measures to keep those supply chains working. In a bid to keep operating, companies are setting up factory bubbles in which workers have to remain on site at all times and avoid outside contact. But those closed-loop systems haven't successfully kept plants producing at full capacity in the past, Brett. Other large cities haven't been fully locked down yet, but neighborhoods in Shenzhen have begun ramping up restrictions as COVID cases rise, raising fears that the city could also soon face a full lockdown. China's economy has been pummeled by COVID zero policies, months of record-breaking heat waves, and a slowing unfolding of the housing market crisis. Now, what some have called the worst heat wave ever recorded in global history has crippled China's rice harvest and dried up rivers, reducing the availability of hydropower and leading to rolling blackouts throughout the country. Meanwhile, government restrictions on housing development and mortgages intended to gently deflate China's property bubble have crushed the housing market and led to bank defaults and mortgage boycotts. Now, there is a bit of a bright side for us Canadians, Jay. This all sounds terrible, but while this is bad news for Chinese consumers and anyone who sells stuff to them, Matt Klein writes in the EFT that China's lower demand for imported metals, energy, food, and capital goods is alleviating inflationary pressures in the rest of the world. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to daily business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and... 
leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And for those parents that are dropping their kids off at school this morning, have a great and restful day.